Please listen, church. I pray you have ears to hear because there's an evil approaching. In fact, it's already here. There's an epidemic, it's lurking in the shadows. Our children are being taken to a place that is only in your nightmares, off to modern day slavery, to be tortured, to be abused, to be neglected, to be misused, to oppression, to being broken, to a place so low, it's almost hopeless. And I don't think many of us know this, but slavery never really ended. There's more human slaves in the world today than there's ever been in history. And human trafficking is a billion dollar industry. But my Lord and Savior came to set the captives free. He did it all for you, he did it all for me. And every person in this world is worth his blood is free. But do we all believe that he'll leave the 99 for the one he sees? Let us be like him. Let us go all in and give this world the living hope. Eradicate this sin. Let's do this together. We're in this together. Take my hand. Let's do this together. We're in this together. Take my hand. Let's do this together. We're in this together. Take my hand. Yeah. So every year about this time, we have a campaign that we call Impact, and uh, Impact 2019, uh, next week will be the week that we begin the giving or pledging to give. So you can either make a one-time gift, or for a lot of us, we just pledge what we're going to give over the next year, uh, and that makes budgeting a little bit easier. Uh, but the goal is to raise $300,000 and then to give it all away, which is pretty exciting. I love this uh, thing that we get to do called Impact, but what I do know is uh, we can't do it unless we're all in, unless every one of us sort of decides what is it that God is calling us to do, how is God calling us to give, uh, and then we do that. So next week, sometime this week, you should get an envelope if you haven't got it already in the mail. We just ask that you come back again with that envelope uh, and either mark on there what you want to pledge or uh, actually make the contribution, and we'll do that for the next few weeks, but next week is really the, the main giving uh, week for that. Okay, we're in uh, week three of this campaign, and what we've been doing is we've been looking uh, closely at who God is and how that uh, discovery of who God is affects what God expects from us, what God expects in mission. The first week, we just talked about God's relentless love, how God pursues us with his love, and as we discover who God is and we discover God's love, that we're compelled to be the ones to share that with other people. If God reveals himself to you, he reveals himself to you for the purpose of you revealing God to others. He wants to use you. So the first week, we had these two questions that came up on the screen, and what I said was, the way you answer these two questions affects everything about you. It affects who you are, it affects all of your responses, it, it affects your, your way of navigating through life. I was uh, with Bryce and Mel, Meg and I went out to, to lunch with them, and Mel was telling us about a study that she was doing by uh, Tozer. Tozer is a brilliant author and theologian. And, and his quote that she reminded us of is, Tozer says, he says, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us. 
What comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I think these, those questions that I ask, are the two most important questions. And so part of what we discovered in the first week is that Satan's role, Satan's scheme, Satan's desire is to place in these blanks untruth, lies. He's the father of lies. And when we believe a lie, it creates uh, captivity, it creates bondage for us, but when we believe truth, it becomes about freedom. So that was the first week, and then we moved into the, the second week, and we talked about how God is, is, is chasing after God desires for people who worship in spirit and in truth. And if you were here last week, what I told you was to worship in spirit is to worship with everything that you have, that that was a, a, an old uh, way of saying in the ancient world that you bring your entire being to it, that everything you have, everything you do, everything that is you comes to the table for worship. And to spirit worship in truth is to be able to answer this question honestly, these questions honestly, and bring all that to the table. The more we know about God, the more we discover about God, the more our hearts are compelled towards worship. Okay, so now week three. Grab your Bibles, turn to Isaiah. Isaiah is near the center of your Bible. Isaiah chapter 58, Psalms, Proverbs, and then you'll get to Isaiah. So find Isaiah 58. And what we're reading today is what I would say is a, a case study of human behavior. I think this passage could be written about the people of God at just about any time in their history, including now. So it's, there's a lot of application for us. Sometimes we read Old Testament and we think, oh, that was then. But if we really listen to the heart of the, the passage, Isaiah 58, we'll discover that this is just a case study in human behavior. When, uh, uh, before I read the passage, I also just want to give a little bit of props. A lot of this message was shaped uh, by a message that I read and, and heard from Tim Keller, uh, who I think is one of the best theologians of our day. So uh, just thank you, Tim, for your good words. So Isaiah 58, verses 1 through 14. It says, cry aloud and do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgressions to the house of Jacob and their sins. Now he's going to explain what those transgressions are. Verse 2, yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. And if they were a nation that did righteous, as if they were a nation that did righteous, and they did not forsake the judgment of their God, they ask of me righteous judgment. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and, you've not, and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. You oppress all your workers. Verse four. Behold, your fast only to, to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such a fast that I chose a day for a person to humble himself is to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him. Will you call this a fast? And a day acceptable to the Lord is not the fast that I chose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house when, when you see the naked to cover him, not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your night light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. 
Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking wickedness, verse 10, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as noonday. And the Lord will guide you continuously and satisfy your desires and scorch places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water who water does not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt and you shall rise up the foundation of many generations. You shall be called the repaired of the breach and you shall restore of the streets to dwell in. Verse 13. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasures on the holy day and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it and do not go your own ways and seek your own pleasures or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for uh, the words that you've been um, speaking to us for the last few weeks, and I pray uh, that we would receive what you have for us today. I think the message today is hard, but it's good. I think it will challenge us, but it will also invite us to something profound. I pray that our hearts would be ready to receive what you have for us. I pray that the words that I speak, the words that I read, I pray that the word of God would go forth and that it would be a seed that's planted that would bear fruit a hundredfold. We just pray that we would leave this place different than we came because we sat in the presence of the living God. Amen? Amen. So what I find fascinating about this passage from Isaiah is that is if you begin to read it, it feels as though they're getting a lot of things right. It feels as though what's said of them are actually pretty good things. So if you just look at verse two, it says, they seek me daily. They, they delight to know my ways. They delight to draw near to me. Verse four, it says, behold, you fast. Right, these seems like really good descriptors of a person's behavior. If I were to talk about Mary or Joe or somebody, you know, just using those as, as uh, uh, imaginary names, not a particular Mary or Joe, but if I were to say about them to you, hey, you know, I don't know if you've seen Mary or Joe, but they really delight in God. They seek God every day. They fast every day. We would say to ourselves, well, that's good, right? That's, that's a, a good descriptor of a, of a person's behavior. But if you continue reading Isaiah 58, you only have to read the next couple of verses and you begin to see that something is amiss, something's wrong, something is askew in the way that people are approaching God. There's actually some kind of block between them and God, right? That God is not responding to them in all of their busyness. So that's a good first stop for us along this, along this passage is just to remind ourselves that we can do, do, do. We can do all kinds of things and think that we're doing it for the right reasons. We can raise our hands and we can sing loudly. We can shout to the Lord and have a great praise service. We can give our tithes and offering. We can, we can do all kinds of activities and miss the heart of God. We can be doing and God can sometimes be unimpressed by our doing. I say this all the time, but the movement of God in your life always starts with an invitation. 
And God is inviting you into this dynamic, personal, give and take, life-changing journey with him. And if you look at the verses here in 58, starting in verse 3, you see that this is anything but dynamic and life-giving and give and take. It's, it, there's something missing in the relationship. I would say it's not even a relationship. The people, the people cry to God in verse 3, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? In other words, they're just saying, where are you, God? We're doing all the things you told us to do, but you don't seem to be showing up in any way. It doesn't seem to be uh, making you or causing you to move the way we want you to move. And the Lord responds to the question in 58, and he says, I am ignoring you because what you do, you do for you. You don't do it for me. What you do, you're doing for your own benefit. You're doing it to, to, to manipulate me, to cause me to do what you want me to do. You are a self-absorbed people. And the best proof of you being self-absorbed is you are unwilling to be others-focused, right? So that comes out in the passage. So God is telling you and I and Isaiah that if we know God and we love God, that we would be compelled to love others to love what God loves. We would be motivated by what motivates God. Throughout the Old Testament scriptures, actually Old Testament and New Testament, God is passionate about the most vulnerable people in society. If you just, you, you can't miss this. If you just sit down and read through the book, he's passionate about caring for the poor, the alien, the widow, the fatherless, the prisoner, the refugee, right? And, and I just want to say this this morning, and, and it's so easy for it to sound like a political statement, and I want it to be anything but a political statement, but I can tell you, God is not pleased with the church's response to the refugee crisis. If we're waiting for a government entity to solve the problem, then we've missed the heart of God. There is a crisis out there, a refugee crisis, and the evangelical church those who say Jesus is who, is who I follow ought to be stepping into that chaos in some way and helping to relieve the pain. Why? Because it's throughout the scriptures. These are the people who are most vulnerable right now. So, so how we respond makes a difference. If you love God, this is what he says, if you love God, if you love me, you would love what I love. Tim Keller puts it this way. This was the, the phrase that came out of that message that I heard. And this is where it's a little bit of a pinch, and it was a pinch for me when I heard it. If you think you have a relationship with God, but you ignore the poor, you have no relationship with God. Ouch. If you think you have a relationship with God, but you ignore the poor, you have no relationship with God. I've shared this uh, Tim Keller statement throughout the week with people, and uh, it's fascinating. The, the question that's asked... Most common is, well, what are the poor? Like, what do you mean when you say the poor? Are we talking about people who are spiritually poor or are we talking about people who are physically poor? I've heard that question almost to every single person has asked me that question, and the answer is yes. Yeah, and we just need to be careful not to over-spiritualize and say, well, he's just talking about, because pretty clear, if you, if you dig through the scriptures, he's talking about both. So don't tune me out. I know this is hard stuff, but there is a, fabulous invitation from God in this whole thing. God desires for us 
to move towards people in need, okay? And I'm just going to show you a couple other passages so that we can get the full scale of what it's saying. Zechariah, you don't have to turn there, but Zechariah 7, verses 4 through 10. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, say to all the people of the land and the priest, and this is going to sound very familiar, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and the seventh, for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? I think it's a rhetorical question. Verse six, when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous, when the cities around her and the south lowlands were inhabited? Verse eight, and when the Lord, uh, and when the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgment, show kindness and mercy to another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, the refugee, the poor, and let none of you desire evil against another in your heart. We see it in Isaiah again. If you look at our passage, he says, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth, or yeah, in, in Isaiah, excuse me, in Zechariah, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month, in the seventh month, was it me you were fasting for? You did it for yourselves. Now here's the deal. In this case, they were actually in captivity. Right? They had been, been seized and, and taken away, and they were in captivity, and they are doing their religious acts in order to get God to relieve them from their captivity. Now, when I read that, I think to myself, that's what I would be doing. Right? I would be begging God. I would be pleading with God. I would be saying, okay, I'd be cutting deals with God. Okay, if I fast, then can I get out of Okay, if I, you, get, you ever cut a deal with God? It's just me, Right? So the idea here is they're doing what they're doing so that they can get God to bring relief to their situation. And God's like, I'm not really that impressed. Now, we, if you're just honest with yourself, we do this all the time. If I decide to do something for Meg because I want Meg to do something for me, right? If I decide to clean the house because I just want her to, whatever, you can fill in the blanks, okay? So <laughs> the point is that's manipulation, Right, if I'm doing something for her so that she will actually do something for me, who am I most concerned with? Me, right, but if I do something for her because she is the greatest gift from God that I've ever been given and I love her and I just wanna serve her, it comes from a completely different place. Did somebody laugh when I said that? <laughs> Not really, she is. Anyway, so Isaiah chapter one, he says, don't bring vain and meaningless offerings to me. If it's motivated by self-betterment, then it's a vain and meaningless offering. And the best way to avoid a vain and meaningless offering is to put ourselves in a place where we are others-focused, where we are giving ourselves away on behalf of other people. So Isaiah 58 and Zechariah 7 says, if you look at verse 9 of 58, it says, thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgment, show kindness and mercy to one another. Don't oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, the poor. Let none of you desire evil against another in your heart. Proverbs 14.31 actually says it this way. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. You know who his maker is, Right? That's God. So any kind of oppression, anytime we, we oppress someone else, anytime we neglect someone else, it actually says we're neglecting God. That's why Tim Keller says what he says. If you think you have a real relationship with God, but you ignore the poor, you have no relationship with God. You insult God when you impress the poor. Proverbs 19, 17, whoever is generous to the poor 
lends to the Lord. You see this relationship? It's, it's amazing. It's all throughout the Old Testament, right? But then, it, it, then it's in the New Testament too. Remember Matthew 23? Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says, you, you teachers, you're just show-offs. He's saying you just do everything for yourself and you're in trouble. You give a tenth of your spices. See, they're doing all the things, right? They give a tenth of their spices from your garden, mint, dill, and cumin. You neglect the more important matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These are the important things you should have done, and you shouldn't have left out the others. You should have done them both. Here's the heart of the Christian faith, the heart of the triune God that we have. God identifies with the poor and the oppressed. The scriptures say he's near to the brokenhearted, right? This, this is not that hard for us to understand. How many of you are a parent? How many of you have children? I'm not gonna make you come up here so you can raise your hand without getting scared. Every time I ask a question, you're like, I'm not sure what's gonna happen now. All right, so you have a child, and I serve your child. I bless your child. I pour into your child. I, I see your child, and I call things that are out of them and help them to be productive and to, to do well in, in their life. <clears throat> the more I move towards your child, right, and I bless your child, am I blessing you at the same time? Okay, well, let's go the other way. You have a child, and I abuse that child physically. I abuse that child by oppressing that child. Am I oppressing you? Is there a, it's, there's, just, there's, no, there's no break in it, right? Like, we don't, it, actually, if I serve your kids, I win favor from you way quickly than when I serve you. I've learned that through the Eagle Sports Experience. The more we loved and served the kids, the more the parents loved us, right? Because we cared for their kids well. Well, if, this doesn't take much to, for us to realize that that's the heart of God. God identifies with the poor and the oppressed because they're his children, and so when we serve them, when we love them, God identifies with that. God is connected to that, and God blesses us. Isaiah 61. This is why he says this, because he identifies with poor. He says, I, the Lord, love justice. Amos 5. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. We are called to do justice, not to manipulate God into doing something for us, but because God relates to, God identifies with his children, and he is calling us to be the ones to serve his children. If you ignore justice, you ignore God. But I want to spend just a little bit of time as we bring this home, as it kind of explaining to you what is justice, what is justice? And whenever I teach on justice, I've discovered it's easier for us to know what is injustice than to know what justice is. Because if I say to you, tell me about an injustice you've seen, you'd all be able to, with just a few minutes of thought, come up with an injustice, right? So, so anytime you can, can see it, so let's just think about it. If a 12-year-old girl is taken from her home and sold into sex trafficking, injustice? Of course, Right, there's no doubt. We, we can see injustice. I, injustice is, is being an honorable mom, dad, being, doing everything you can to care for your family and war breaks out in your country and your home is taken from you and you have to flee your country and, and you have to live in, in, in squalors and, and tent villages and no one seems to care about you and you're left out. That's the refugee plight right now. Is that an injustice? You didn't do anything and all of a sudden all this bad. And I think we would all agree that's an injustice. 
any, any system that gives preferential treatment to one group of people over another, like we've seen in the States for so many decades, that's an injustice. The broken urban education system is an injustice, right? And if we're willing to open our eyes and just look around, we see injustice all around us. So, so when we read the words in Malachi, when, when God says these words, I've told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God? And to do justice is just to stand in the gap, to do everything that we are empowered to do to right the injustice, to make the injustice not injustice, but to bring justice into it. So here's three things that I think when God talks about justice in the scriptures, what he's saying. The first thing we need to see in justice is equal treatment. I'm gonna share a verse with you that I think will surprise you. This is in Leviticus. I know you guys study Leviticus all the time. Leviticus 24, 22 says this. It says, you should have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native, for I am the Lord your God. No preferential treatment, no rules for one group of people and a different set of rules for a different group of people. Have the same rules for both. And you can take that wherever you want, but it's gonna bump into some of what you've been hearing in the news. You should have the same rules for the sojourner, the refugee, the alien, as you do for the native. For I am the Lord your God. When God speaks of justice, he's, he's talking about equal treatment, but he's also talking about advocacy. Advocacy is where we speak up for the vulnerable. We use what privilege we have to help those who are disenfranchised. We use what we have to help those who don't have. Proverbs 31, it says, open your mouth for the mute. Those who can't speak for themselves, if you've been given a voice, you advocate for them. You step into the gap for the rights of all who are destitute, right? This is just leveraging what you have for the benefit of others. And then the third part of what God talks about when he talks about justice is generosity. So if you go back to our passage in, in 58, he's, he goes through really almost all three of these. You can see it in there. He says, isn't this fast I've chose for you that loose the bonds of wickedness, undo the straps of the yoke, let the oppressed go free, break every yoke. Verse seven, is it not to share bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless into your house, naked, cover them, don't hide yourself from your own flesh. I love that. Think about this. Don't hide yourself from your own flesh. Uh, I was studying this passage this week and uh, was pulling up to an intersection and there was a person in need and I purposefully cheated my car forward so that they would be behind me. Why is that? Because I, I, didn't, I didn't want to make eye contact. I didn't want to feel. So I hid myself from the person and God's like, oh, that sound familiar? Are you, are you studying that this week? Like, that's what we do, right? We turn our, we don't like the uncomfortableness, so we turn a blind eye to other people's plight and difficulties. And, and I'm not, I don't always know what to do in those situations, but I'm pretty sure I'm not supposed to hide myself from their affliction. But look at verse 10. This is generosity. Pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted. I actually like the way the NIV uh, translate that better. It says, spend yourself. Not spend your money, but spend yourself. Pour yourself out for others. Spend your, your very being for others. 
It's a beautiful passage of generosity. Give what you can. Give what God has given you for the sake of others. Our motivation for justice is God's unfailing love. This is the other thing that came out of the Tim Keller talk that I referenced that I just love. He says, our motivation is not duty, but beauty. Right? Not because Doug told you to, not because you have to, but because God loves you beyond your wildest imagination, because God has called, God has, has poured himself out for you. God has spent himself literally for you. And he says, now go spend yourself, pour yourself out for others. Give generously because you've received generously, not out of duty, but out of beauty. Not because you have to, but because you get to. It's not a burden, it's a privilege. That's why the scriptures say God loves a cheerful giver when it's coming from the right place. And the more we are aware of God's love, the more we are aware of God's grace, the more we are really aware deep in our spirit of all that God has done for us, the more it compels us to do that for others. Now here's where this all gets really complicated and difficult to explain. If you read the passage, if your motivation is right, God still shows up, right? He doesn't abandon you. And so it, there's always this, this paradox of trying to figure out, what, if, if, am I motivated by trying to get God to do something? Am I, I feel like I'm always in that tension. But, but, but God says, look, I mean, look at the passage, verse eight. Then your light shall shine forth like the dawn, and healing shall spring up speedily, and righteousness shall go before you. Just Listen to the promises. The Lord shall be your rear guard. The Lord shall be your rear guard. Verse nine, you'll call on the Lord and the Lord will answer. You'll cry out to God and he'll say, here I am. If you take away the yoke in your midst and pointing a finger and speaking witness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light rises in the darkness and your gloom as noonday. Verse 11, what a great promise. And the Lord will guide you continually. He'll satisfy your desires. Make your bones strong. You're gonna be like a watered garden, like a spring of water springing forth. Remember last week we talked about the woman at the well and living water. When we worship, water flows from us. There's all these promises. How awesome are these promises? But the promises only come when our motivation is not to make God do that, but when it's out of beauty, not duty. The movement of, your, of God in your life always, always starts with an invitation. And God is inviting you to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with him. And when you do, he shows up. And when you do, your light shines before men and they see your good deeds and they honor your Father in heaven. That's what Jesus said. Impact 2019 is about justice. When we rescue girls in northern India from human trafficking and help them to get back on their feet and to have a, a normal life, that's justice, right? Teaching a child to read in Detroit is justice, right? Feeding the hungry through my father's business, that's justice, right? God is calling us as a church to do justice. I want to wrap it up by telling you a story. Uh, this is a small village in India. Yugi uh, Basti is the name of the village. Uh, the people that live in this village um, are Dalits. 
And they live on this river bank. Most of them make their living in the dry season, the drought season, going out into the river and picking stones and digging for gravel and trying to sell it. But the government has um, told them that they can no longer do that. So they're, they're an oppressed people group. But let me tell you what it means to be a Dalit. You can go to the next picture if you want. We get a picture of the kids. Uh, all of these kids are told uh, through their faith and through the government, the, the government's faith, the Hindu religion, uh, that God created some people from the head and those people are created to be the rulers. And then God created other people from the, his chest and they're called to be the warriors. And God created other people from the torso and, and they're called to be the business owners, right? But then there's another group of people called the Dalits and they're told God didn't even create you. You are not created by God. You are a cursed people because of your past life. You're, you're, you're held out. You're, you're actually less than the cattle. Right, a whole people group, millions of people in a country being told, you are not even created by God. They do not have a voice, right? They are an oppressed people. This little boy here, his name is Aryan. Aryan, the uh, name means noble, and I just find that so ironic. His name means noble, but the culture tells him you're not even created by God. Look, this is a child that is at risk, right? He is at risk of being trafficked. He's at risk of getting into some type of indentured servant. He, he really has no rights in the, in the legal systems. He's, he's at risk in so many ways. His people are at risk. But we work with a group of people called medical ambassadors, and they've come into this village, and I've been to the village multiple times, and what I've seen is a radical transformation as medical ambassadors in partnership with us has come alongside this group. And if you go back to the picture before, the picture that you can see in the background there, this is a preschool that they've built. We didn't build it, we just come alongside them and help them, but they've built the preschool, they've hired a teacher, and they've gotten the kids ready for school that they weren't even allowed to go to. And then they advocated for these young kids to get them into the school system so that they could be educated. It's a beautiful picture. This is a different place than when we arrived because they've come alongside of the people and they've, they've educated and they've, they've helped them. If you walk through the village today, compared to the first time that we walked through it, it's night and day. The villagers there talk about what God has done for them. They talk about what they've done together. They don't talk about what those people did for us. They talk about what we did to better our community and to help our children to get back on their feet. They're, they're finding employment now outside of the picking of the stones. It's just a beautiful picture. But that work that we get to do through impact changes Aryan's life. You get that, right? It's changed because someone stood in the gap for him. Someone advocated for him. Someone fought for him, sometimes through a legal system. They're being evicted out of their current living places because they want to build condos there. But it's medical ambassadors who stand in the gap and help the government to say, you can't just displace these people. You need to find land and give them land, and they're in the process of doing that right now. Arian's dreams can be noble now. Right? He can live into his name, which I just think is awesome. He knows that God loves him. God loves him beyond his wildest imagination. That's what it means to do justice. That's what Impact 2019 is all about, and that's what you're being asked to give to next week. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the challenges of Scripture. I thank you that every time I read it, it's not easy, but it's so good. I thank you that you invite us into more of you. I thank you that even the words today is an invitation to experience you in powerful ways.
Lord, teach us to give our lives away, to spend ourselves for others. Help us to be more and more like your son, Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Help us to make ourselves nothing for others. Lord, thank you that you're good. Thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Thank you that, that you are just calling us to this. You love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we have a really awesome surprise for you next week. Uh, if you were here a couple years ago, we had a national recording artist, uh, Liz Weiss, come. How many of you made it to the Liz Weiss concert? Yeah, it was incredible. Uh, she's coming back next week to lead worship for us. So when you hear, yeah. Um, so when you hear that song that we played at the beginning, Take My Hand, Let's Do This Together, that's Liz Weiss. But she's going to come lead worship with us, with John. Uh, so you don't want to miss next week. It's just going to be awesome. Next week is also when we're going to uh, take up the offering. So come prepared with your envelopes uh, for that. And I just want to encourage you that as you leave, you need to buy those tickets so that you can go to the Pancake House after this and wait in an hour line. And then invite everybody in line and all of your wait staff to come to the uh, Big Band Christmas. Hey, we always uh, have a group of people that meet a half hour before the service and pray for you. Uh, and I just want to encourage you to two things. One is uh, come to that. If you want to come a half hour early, they meet in the chapel. It's just a wonderful time of prayer and asking the Lord what he wants to do. But one of the things we heard today is that there's some people uh, in the room who are suffering uh, with some back issues, um, left lower back, uh, maybe some rib pain. And we just want to pray over you and ask the Lord to step into that. Uh, one of the things that we heard is that someone is uh, in fear uh, that they are going to fall through, that there's some kind of trap that's being set for them, a trap door. There's just some kind of emotional fear there. We would love to pray for you in that as well. So if you have a physical need, a spiritual need, uh, we believe that God calls us to pray and lay hands on one another. So you can come down here. There'll be a team down here that would love to pray for you. But we're glad that you're here. And we just want you to have a Merry Christmas. And we'll see you either Friday or Saturday for the Big Band Christmas. All right? God bless you. Have a great day.